Alright, we're back to podcast and wrapping up the book of James, James chapter number 5. And uh, it's been a good book, uh, it's a very fast book to go through, chapters are not long, and then, then the method that we do this, uh, it's it's pretty rapid. Um, so we, we will just jump straight into First Peter, starting on next Sunday night. Uh, because we will have Bible study this uh, this Wednesday night. Back to Bible study. We uh, will we're going to do a two part series, hopefully on consecutive Wednesday nights. So we'll meet at six forty five at the coffee shop this Wednesday night, and uh, hope again, depending on how my this time of year with rain and everything and cool weather. Uh, the roofing schedule is a little volatile, but I'm I'm usually done with everything by by dark, so it should not be a problem. But um, we're looking at uh, two two Thursday nights in a row, or Wednesday nights in a row, to kick off the year with the uh, Bible study series that we're going to do some Bible study methods, and then we will get into. Um, uh, we'll probably go into our every other week at that point. So just keep that in mind. Um, starting this week, six forty-five Bible study at the coffee shop. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, James chapter number five. James five. Uh, James continues on this um, misuse of money, misuse of riches. Um, as you read this, it makes you think very much about the rich man in hell in Luke chapter number 16. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages to preach on salvation from. Uh, in Luke 16, there was a uh, rich man. In fact, let's just read that together. I, you can turn there with me if you'd like, uh, or I can read it to you. But it, we'll go to Luke chapter number 16. And starting in verse number 19, the Bible says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So this is while on earth. He's got fine clothes. He's got uh, purple would be the color of royalty. Um, Then there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So we got another individual who's uh, not well off financially. His, His health is not good. Now, I want you to get that point that I'm making here. In this life, you've got a man who is rich. You've got a man who is dressed really well, the color of royalty, and he fared sumptuously. That means his life was easy. He had no problems in his life. His life was good. But then we've got this other fella by the name of Lazarus who is, is a beggar. So, number one, he's not financially well off. Number two, he's got a physical problem. He's, he's got boils or, or some, some type of physical issue. He's not very mobile. He's, he's having extreme physical difficulties. But notice that it's all in this life. <clears throat> Verse 21. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and leaked his sores. 
And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So in, in the life, these two men knew each other, at least relatively well. They at least knew each other by face and name. Because the rich man in hell knows who Lazarus is. And the Bible says here, um, verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides the, all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Okay, I'll stop right there. I'm not going to preach or teach this chapter. I want to use it as an illustration for what we're talking about in James chapter 5. Here in this story, we've got two individuals. In this life, one had an easy life. One was very financially prospered. He dressed in royalty, had it made, had it easy. We have another person who in this life begged for food. He was immobile. He had great physical difficulties and physical problems in this life. But we find that this life is very brief. In fact, we found out in the last chapter that it's like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. So what matters would be eternity. Eternity. Forever. And notice how... In eternity, in paradise, in Luke 16, the roles flip. The, the reverse happens. The rich man is in paradise, or the poor man, Lazarus, the one that had terrible physical health, the one that was not financially well off in this life. He was a beggar. He now is, is in paradise. He's in the bosom of Lazarus. He has comfort throughout all eternity, and the rich man is tormented in the flames and the fires of hell. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that everyone that's rich is going to hell, and everyone that's poor and has physical problems is going to heaven. What that means is your riches and what where you stand in this life and the circumstances around you in this life have no bearing for eternity the only bearing in eternity that is going to matter is whether or not you have have accepted Christ, whether or not you have followed Christ, whether or not you have been born again by the grace of God and become a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. So it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if your health was good on this in this life, or if your health was bad in this life, if every day was easy or every day was hard. So what that teaches us is it rains on the just and the unjust. So what occurs in this life has no bearing in eternity outside of the fact of whether we're born again by the grace of God or not. And that's that's encouraging to me. Because <clears throat> eternity is a whole lot longer than this life. Now let's look at the text. 
Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud crieth. The cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nursed your hearts and is in day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Okay? That is not an indictment against being rich. That is not an issue and a problem with being rich. The problem is, is when the riches were a roadblock and a stumbling block between you and God, between you and Jesus Christ, when they become your God and you, you believe that your riches were going to carry you into eternity with security. James 5 and verse number 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receives the early and latter rain. Do you see the, do you see the tie-in there? The tie-in here is to believers to be patient because the coming of the Lord is going to fix all of the injustices that we see in this life. Boy, that's a mouthful. There is the Christian's line in the sand. There is the Christian's perspective. We cannot fix every injustice, regardless of what you believe about political leaders, politicians. They cannot fix every injustice. In fact, they're the ones causing most of the injustices today. All right? So it's not man's job. Jesus Christ is going to fix all of the injustices at his coming. So here in James 5 and verse number 7, immediately tied in to injustices in this life, in 1 through 6, we're told to remain patient concerning the coming of the Lord, concerning the husbandman. Okay, The husbandman is one that keeps the vineyard of another. I'm keeping the vineyard that Christ has placed me in, and I am to be patient until he returns and rewards me for my duties and my efforts. That's when everything's going to be fixed. If you're looking for every wrong to be made right down here, you're going to look your entire life, and it's never going to happen. If you're looking for every problem to be fixed and solved down here, it's never going to happen. It's going to happen when Christ comes back, takes over, and rules and reigns this world with that rod of iron and the peace of the government that he's going to have. That's when all the wrongs will be made right. Now, <coughs> remember this. Here in James, we have the earliest. You remember what I told you before? This was the first book of the New Testament that was actually written, the first one with pen to paper. And notice, if you would, the promise of his coming and the allusion to his coming in the very first New Testament book given. 
What does that tell us? That tells us that's been a doctrine of the early church from the beginning. When he ascended back up into heaven, at that point, they have been looking for his return. Now, they didn't know that it was going to be thousands of years. They didn't know how long it was he was going to build the church age. They probably thought it would be within six months, 30 days, maybe three and a half years like his ministry. But they thought it would be soon in the context of their lives. And it will be soon in the context of eternity. But God has at least waited 2,000 plus years because he's building a church and in the grace of God. And you know what? I'm thankful he has because I've been able to be born and now I've been able to be born again. And now I'm able to have eternity with my Lord. So, verse 8, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. <clears throat> so, how should we live in light of the coming of the Lord drawing nigh? Well, verse number nine, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So if I believe that the coming of the Lord is soon, if I believe it's going to come soon, if I believe it's going to happen soon, guess what? If I believe that, I won't hold grudges against each other. I won't hold grudges against people. That's verse nine. Verse 10, take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So look at the prophets. Look at all of those as, as, as Old Testament saints that have endured, they've suffered, they've went through hard times in this life. The coming of the Lord will fix it all. That's our hope. That's our promise. Verse number 11, verse 10. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea, yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Okay. <coughs> this, this is what, okay. People take that sometimes as if to say, now a Christian shouldn't have to say, I swear. That's what that means, Okay. Um, we'll, uh, we'll take an oath. If you have to go to court or, or testify set court setting, you'll have to take an oath. Sure. No doubt about that. But here's, here's the issue at hand. It's not the use of the word swear when you're talking. It is talking about a consistency and a dependency on your word. It says, because it finishes with, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In other words, you should not have to add adjectives. You should not have to add emphasis. You should not have to add... Here's one everybody uses today, literally. I can't stand the word. Like when they talk, they'll say, well, get this literally. She literally run through that stop sign. Okay, so the opposite of literal would be figurative. Okay, literal, literal, 
actually happen figuratively would mean to speak um, almost as an example. It's crazy stuff. Okay. And people say literally all the time now. Why, why do they do that? Why, why would why would that be a vernacular <coughs> phrase used so often today? The reason is is because people's words are not are not as valuable to them as their word was once was. Used to, you could shake a man's hand and you could give him your word, and that was it. You didn't have to embellish. You didn't have to make a bunch of flowery promises. You didn't have to swear. You didn't have to say literally. You'd say yay or nay. Yes or no. That's it. Not a lot of words there. People love a lot of words. But it's simple. Let your yay be yay, your nay be nay. That's it. You are as good as your word. That's what that means. So you don't have to do a lot of talk. You don't have to do a lot of convincing. In fact, <coughs> what I've found is when people are lying, they like to talk more. They like to go on more. Verse number 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Okay, now we're getting into how... Now, all right. Now, before we go into this, I want to preface this with... I. I do not believe that you should not go to the doctor. I, I believe people should go to the doctor. Okay, I do. There are uh, good doctors anyway. I wouldn't go to no doctor pushing vaccines uh, on me. I would not go to a doctor that was pushing a bunch of, um, you know, psycho psychosis medicines on me. I would not go to a doctor that was even pushing a lot of pharmaceuticals on me because we found ultimately that all of them are not good for you. But some some medicines you may need to take, okay? Heart medicine or cholesterol medicine or, you know, something like that. My daughter is a, is a type 1 diabetic, so she takes insulin. <coughs> so do not take this as if I'm not, as if I'm, uh, speaking against going to the doctor because I'm not. But I do know in, in many, many years ago, you would go for broken bones. You would go, you know, to get a, a broken foot set or something like that. And that was basically the scope of it. Um, you know, things like that that would occur. Sometimes, you know, often sicknesses and they would have, you know, homemade cough medicines and things like that. But we were not a chemically dependent society at the same time. Modern medicine, and in many cases, has allowed people to live extended lives, and for that, I'm grateful, thankful for that. But here's how many of our our issues can be fixed: emotional or serious issues, especially when a doctor says he can't do something with the matter. I want you to look with me in verse 13 of James 5. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so we are to call the sick together and, and, and bring the elders of the church in together. And let them pray over this person 
and anoint them with oil. And I know Miss Betty wanted, you know, she's wanted that done when she she was afraid of cancer, and that's in order. And, and and when we thought cancer was in her body, that was in order. That was proper. That's how we should operate. <coughs> and praise God, that you know she she had a great report. Verse fifteen: And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the Bible says, praying effectually and fervently, God will hear, and it will it will avail much. There will be a lot accomplished. Okay. Um, verse seventeen. Elias. This is Elijah. Was a man subject. To like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah prayed and controlled the weather. Elijah prayed and had the ability to control the weather with his prayer because he is the example of an effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, okay? Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he that which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Do you see that? So here, closing out, this makes me think of Brother Kevin. Brother Kevin is one of the um, the hungriest soul winners that I've encountered in, in many, many years. Not just the hungriest of soul winners, the sincerest of soul winners. That Bible says right there that when a person has that that desire, they have that gift, they have that yearn and hunger, they have that ministry and calling to be such a soul winner as Brother Kevin is, or referred to here in James that God has a place of reward for them. There's a reward there. There is a a promise there that, that God recognizes your efforts. There'll be times in soul winning and trying to get people to God that you'll make mistakes. You may be over-aggressive. You may be under-aggressive or passive. <clears throat> but God's looking at where your heart lies on this issue. And there'll be a lot of mistakes that you make along the way that God doesn't hold against you, doesn't charge against you, because he knows your heart is in the place of trying to get people to him. Okay? And your efforts are acknowledged in the Bible. And I love that, because everybody can't be a preacher. Everybody can't be a teacher. Everybody can't can't be a singer but everybody can be a soul winner. Everybody can love souls, love people, want to help souls and help people. And the Word of God says that God acknowledges these people just like the preacher's acknowledged, just like the skilled teacher is acknowledged. God also acknowledges that one that is hungry and yearning for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes James chapter number 5 and the book of James. 
we've dealt with a lot. When you consider that this is the earliest book of the New Testament, the earliest book of the early church, when you consider that, just bring into account and the fact of all the things that were addressed, okay? The shortness of this life, the brevity of this life, the fact that riches aren't going to get you to heaven, the coming of the Lord, the healing of the sick, temptation. All of these things were dealt with in James, in the book of James, chapters 1 through 5, very short book, but it is a it is a handbook on the Christian life. The book of James would be a handbook on living for God in the church age. So if you want to know how to live for God in the church age, I would go to the book of James first because it's the first book given to us um, or that God chose to put pen to paper. Now, again, it's not in order. But you're going to learn that this weekend Bible study. You don't always have to read in exact order. If sometimes you'll bog down, like I'll pick about concerning Leviticus. All right? Have a system. And the system that God had actually was James was the first book of the New Testament given to us. Now it's towards the back of the New Testament, and there's a reason for that. But the fact of the matter is, is every practical issue that we deal with in the Christian life is dealt with in this book. So it's a very valuable, very important book in the Christian journey. All right, Wednesday night Bible study, 645 at the coffee shop, how to study the Bible. Good night. God bless. I love you all.